Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Rachel. And I'm Zoe. And this is the New Statesman's twice-weekly politics podcast. In this episode, in the week of International Women's Day, we discuss the Conservative Party's women problem, and you ask us, why has Labour never elected a female leader? Let's start with the Tories. Before 2020, women were more likely to vote Tory than men were. But since 2015, women have been supporting Labour in higher numbers to the point where women are far more likely to vote Labour than Tory in 2023, we think. Then again... The Tories have had three women as prime minister and Labour have never elected a female leader. Zoe, you've been writing about this. Your piece headlined, Have the Conservatives Done Enough for Women? It was well worth a read. So I suggest our listeners go and have a look at that. Can you outline what you found in your reporting? Because I remember writing about David Cameron's woman problem. This has been something that's been dogging the Tories for a really long time. Also writing that Ed Miliband, when he was leader of Labour, was way ahead in polling among women voters. But then the Tories have won election after election. So is there really a women problem? And what shape is it taking? So I think it's probably important to say, firstly, the Conservatives would probably say they don't have a women problem. (laughs) So they would point to, as you said, three female prime ministers, especially in comparison to Labour, obviously, who's had none. They'd also talk about some of their pledges. So their 2019 manifesto pledge to fight crime against women and girls and provide support for victims of rape and sexual abuse. Uh, Sunak himself often talks about, you know, how committed he is to ending Borg, talks about his daughters and his wife. They've also introduced a women's health strategy, which they did in July last year, and a women's health champion. So that's looking at making smaller the inequality gap in terms of women's health and looking at kind of reproductive health issues as well. And they also, obviously, on the self-ID debate, they would say that the reason they are kind of questioning self-ID legislation is because the way it impacts female-only spaces. Yeah. But... I think it doesn't take that long to look at a lot of these, especially the manifesto pledges, and see how they fall apart. So when we look at violence against women and girls, the statistics really speak for themselves. So, you know, somewhere between two to three women a week are killed in the UK by a partner, ex-partner or family member, which is... Huge Mm. number. And yesterday in the chamber, Jess Phillips read out a list, the Counting Dead Women list. Mm. 97% of women experience sexual harassment in their lifetime and about one in four women are raped. So it's an issue that really impacts a whole lot of women in the UK. 
However, you know, the Conservatives voted against making misogyny a hate crime. Yesterday in the chamber, again, the minister called it virtue signalling. Obviously, there's been issues with the police force, but there's been no real police reform. They've now made it a strategic policing requirement to look at tackling Vogue, but again, it's not very substantiated. And there does seem to be this kind of refusal to properly kind of reform police at the minute or just a kind of lack of real action there. And then, you know, that doesn't even take into account things like childcare, menopause, action, and of course, the gender pay gap as well, which is now at 50 So when you actually look at their track record on women's issues, it doesn't seem to be an awful lot that we can actually point to and say they've really made improvements in this area. Right. And the trend is going in the wrong direction, isn't it? So the gender pay gap has actually widened. Mm -hmm. There are more parents having to fall out of the workforce because of the expense of childcare. And then, of course, you've got the problems in the criminal justice system as well. So just 1% of rapes result in a conviction now. And the average wait for a rape case to go to court is three years. So Mm -hmm. all of these things, you know, you can say that misogyny and violence against women is a problem within society. But some of these signifiers show that it's getting worse for women living in Britain rather than better, Mm. which is something part of which we should be able to lay at the government's door. I think that's right. But it's also worth thinking about how the party is seen in terms of female representation. So for a start, I think it's something like 70% of Conservative Party MPs are are male. High, isn't it? It it is high. And then when you look at the front bench, it's something like, you know, taking into account all ministers, not just cabinet ministers, it's a third of, of females. And then when you look at when the Prime Minister or the or Number 10 sends a minister out on to, to broadcast for the media round. It's something like one in nine minutes in his first 100 days as being a female minister going out there making right. the government's case. So I think that in some ways, as a party, creating a problem for themselves in that they aren't showing that they have women in their party. They aren't putting that representation out there to say, you know, we are a male and female party. And I think that kind of will come back to bite them eventually. And I suppose it does make a difference to how voters view them, because there's two ways of talking about the women problem, isn't there? It's what they're doing for women policy-wise, but also how they're appealing to women in the electorate. And the polling does suggest that Labour is a lot more popular with women voters than the Conservatives are. And this is something that was very stark when it was Keir Starmer versus Boris Johnson. I heard from Labour's private polling that they were finding that Starmer was actually quite popular with women and there was like a big gap between how women felt about him and Boris Johnson. Mm I wonder if it would quite be the same with Rishi Sunak. He seems to get a sort of a warmer reception in terms of the public. And like you say, he talks a lot about his family and there's been those pictures over Christmas of them baking together and mm. things. Sunak probably has a better PR perception when it comes to women than, than Boris Johnson did, not least because some of the pretty offensive comments Johnson made about single female parents and what have you. But I think beyond that, when you look at how women might vote, they're probably like most other voters are going to vote with their pocket. And They've been hit harder by cost of living crisis, hit harder by austerity when George Osborne and David Cameron were in charge. I think that's expressed today when you look at what's happening in terms of the strikes. Most of the people that are on strike, are, the majority of them are women because the pay crisis that we've got in the country at the minute is hitting female professions. So you look at it's nurses, it's mm. teachers. I sometimes think in a lot of the coverage, the rail strikes are outsized in terms mm. of how much coverage they get because it causes so much disruption. So much disruption. Mm. But a lot of the professions affected at the minute are female professions and they're on strike because their pay is not good enough. It's not keeping pace with the cost of living. Yeah. I think that's something that's probably not considered enough. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think that ties into a general thing that I'm hearing quite a lot from people in and around the political sphere that is the women are angry, (laughs) which sounds kind of sexist. But I think there is a grain of truth in it. I remember when I was interviewing Jolie Brearley, who runs Pregnant Then Screwed, that has had a few policy wins and is quite a prominent group at the moment. She was saying women are just really pissed off and what may 
made them angry, particularly mothers, was during the lockdowns, during the home learning. And we had a lot of evidence that the pandemic was affecting women's ability to concentrate on their work more than it was men's and all sorts of horrible stats about how much housework people were doing in mixed couples, etc. And she was saying that sort of politicised quite a lot of women of a certain generation who otherwise, well, she would give herself as an example, people who hadn't seen themselves as political before. And there was a really good article about this on the New Statesman website by Eliza Philby, who's a historian of generations. The headline is why Rishi Sunak ought to beware of Prosecco mums, which sounds quite patronising, <laughs> but it is a really interesting piece mm. about sort of exennial mums, sort of demographic who grew up with girl power and are feeling a little bit angry and let down by the government as they've come to have children and start families and rise up into higher positions in the workplace and realise how unequal it is. What this writer has been arguing is that Prosecco mum could be the new Mondeo man or the new Worcester woman, you know, these demographic types that we say might swing the next election. I love the idea of Prosecco mum. <laughs> um, Zoe touched on it a little bit before, but okay, it's such a huge issue and there's a reason why Mm-hmm. Labour's talking about it absolutely all of the time at the moment and is making a huge deal of the childcare policy which the Shadow Education Secretary is starting to unveil step by step. We've got like some of the most expensive childcare in the Western world. The way that breaks down in terms of its impact is that it ends up that women are staying at home and making sacrifices in terms of their career where there might have been social mobility in the past that's being nipped in the bud for some families. And yeah, I think you're right, that's causing a lot of anger and it's going to make it a big electoral issue. And when you add that to things like the housing crisis, the push down on pay that we've seen, I think a lot of people will be understandably angry, you could argue. Yeah, I do think it's interesting The Conservatives almost seem to be kind of alienating several different demographics or several different age groups actually mm-hmm. because yeah you've got the childcare issue which is impacting sort of younger women of a child childbearing age mm-hmm. but then also you have the Vogue issue I mean women across the kind of cross generations are going to be really affected by that especially younger women I mean we saw the everyone's invited school scandal and as we see women moving into work the inability to get a handle on harassment and sexual violence and the issue with policing. That's something that young women are really concerned about. Mm -hmm. But then you also have menopause care. And this is something that's really Mm -hmm. taken off in the last kind of year. People are finally talking about it. So you've got MPs like Carolyn Harris and Caroline Noakes who have really drawn attention to this issue. And part of their argument is this is also a workforce issue because a lot of women are leaving the workplace when they get to menopause age because employers aren't you know appropriately supporting them so you not only have women leaving the workplace because they can't afford childcare but then you also have women who are older leaving the workplace because of menopause and in that way they're kind of alienating several generations of women what group of women are they supporting what group of women are going to be supported by conservative policies and it's an economic issue isn't it Mm. because if you are losing women like you say at the age that they start having children from the workplace you're losing workers and we've heard only this morning that businesses are really concerned about this issue Mm. but then also look at the group that are leaving the workforce the fastest it's over 50s Mm. isn't it the government at the moment are trying to get those people to come back into work and not to retire Mm. early and of course, if menopausal women feel that their symptoms are affecting their focus on work, then they're going to carry on leaving unless there are structures put in place in the workforce. And that's something the government recently rejected, the idea of menopause leave and also Mm. having, you know, menopause as a protected characteristic under the Equality Act. Mm. I watched Kemi Badnock, the government's minister for equalities at her committee hearing Mm. the other day where the cross-party group examines her work, takes a look at how the government's doing on some of these issues. She has quite a political response rather than engaging with some of the arguments. Mm. So, for example, Carolyn Harris, who's campaigning MP, was was asking about whether the government would take the committees, the cross-party committees' recommendation to look at menopause leave. Mm. 
And Kemi Badenoch's response was to be like, well, why would I accept what you called a left wing mm. idea? And I think that makes something that's not necessarily divisive a divisive issue mm. when you start to just engage with the idea of, of improving gender equality. Mm. It's just purely a political idea. I mean, you, even though the select committee recommending it is it, across party, as a, as a conservative MP, yeah. yeah. On the other hand, there's, there's the reactionary view where you could say that the debate around gender equality is, is becoming divisive in some areas and difficult for other groups. But I just think if you're the government and engaging, you're expected to engage as a government which represents everybody. Mm. I think calling it a left-wing issue is just bad PR for, mm. the, part, for the party in government. Yeah. yeah, And we were discussing earlier, Anoush, that the way that the government is framing this issue, it's almost becoming a bit of a culture war issue, this kind of war on woke and gender equality. And it's virtue signalling. It's a virtue signalling, mm. yeah. There was a lot of language like that in questions yesterday. Sometimes it is about signalling isn't it? It is about showing where your priorities are and where your loyalties are. And if we do feel that our ministers aren't taking it seriously or dismissing it as a politicised issue Mm. or a woke issue, that's not going to impress someone who feels like they can't up their hours or go from part-time to full-time or get back into the workplace. That, That doesn't make sense to them. This is an issue that's affecting businesses and the economy. It's not just something that Not that there's anything wrong with it, but it's not something that just female-led pressure groups are getting riled up about. This is something that is affecting all of society. And so I think it it is important in terms of the signal that it shows. And it is a little bit of an irony if we're only hearing that rhetoric about how much we care about women's safety and women-only spaces when it's linked to the trans rights debate. Yeah, I think the trans rights debate is like obviously a massive issue in terms of it, it will affect society how we legislate for improving trans trans rights but i think it's become overly politicized and people have probably lost sight that it does affect a very small group of people and are probably missing the wider debate around gender equality overall and in terms of how that affects the economy and how that's affecting families how that's affecting a wider number of people well we don't want to let labor off the hook so (laughs) after the break we'll discuss our listeners question about why labor has never elected a female leader if you're subscribed to the new statesman you can get all our episodes ad free on the new statesman app you can get it on both ios and android just search for new statesman on the app store or google play store and we'll be back in a couple of minutes If you enjoy the New Statesman podcast, then you'll love our daily politics newsletter, Morning Call. It's a quick, essential guide to the big political story each morning by me, Freddie Hayward and Rachel Wearmouth, featuring original reporting from Westminster and beyond, our analysis of the latest political news and some recommendations of the best reads of the day. Sign up for free at the link in the podcast description. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And now it's time for a section we like to call You You Ask Ask Us. Us. Lovely. Um, So our question today is, why has Labour never elected a female leader? Rachel, I'm sure this is something that comes up in a lot of your conversations with your Labour contacts, (laughs) particularly the female ones. Yes, yeah, it's a source of massive frustration, I think, for a lot of the female MPs, for a lot of the male MPs as well, who kind of feel like a lot of the criticism is levelled at them. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of Labour voters and supporters, it's, you know, it's massive in that they're, they're supposedly the party of equality and have so far failed to elect a female leader but the labour movement does have as many problems as the rest of society when it comes to female representation and how women are treated when you look at for example 
the GMB union a couple of years ago was found institutionally sexist. A lot of people within the Labour movement will be Labour members, will vote on a, a Labour leader. So yeah. the trade union movement's had many of its many of its own problems. I've sometimes wondered in the past if the female only shortlists actually maybe have not necessarily helped the right. Labour Party in the way that you might think, because I don't know if that gives some members and some other MPs a bit of an attitude as to why that MP has that seat, mm. if they've got their seat because the positive d- discrimination. I wonder if sometimes if that has an impact. Yeah. Obviously, they haven't done that in this round of selection, so I wonder if that kind of changes the matter somewhat. But one of the things that I think I would like to point out is that what, one of the things I think people are missing about the Sue Gray appointment is that she's been brought into the leader's office when it has quite a few male members of staff at the top and they've mm-hmm. been called a bit of a boys club so yeah. I think she's been brought in there as part of a as a remedy to that so you know I think they're probably aware that they have persistent problems okay yeah. that's really interesting <laughs> yeah sort of getting a sort of experienced woman in her 60s to come in and sort them all out yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it's difficult isn't it because when you talk to Labour MPs about who could possibly be a successor to Starmer whether he loses the next election and someone else has to take over or whether he wins and after a term or two, someone else comes in. And often a name that comes up is Wes Streeting. And, you know, he is obviously someone who could do the job very well and comes from a diverse background, just doesn't happen to be a woman. Is the sort of talent pipeline, does that suggest that we're not going to see a woman as leader anytime soon? I think it's it's really hard to tell at this stage because everyone is so very behind Keir Starmer Mm. and there's absolutely zero signalling when it comes to who might be a future leader at this stage. You know, I mean, people pick out some of the candidates based, I think, probably on their their media performances and West Street is very good on, on the media, but they've got a lot of other very talented women that are top of the party. Rachel Reeves is probably mm. the one who does the most media performances. Bridget Phillipson, Lisa Nandy, they're, they're not short of candidates the next time round. So. Yeah, well, this is what happens, isn't it? Because you speak to MPs and they will list the similar names to what you list. Mm. That happened to me when I interviewed Margaret Hodge recently. She, on the record, was listing the names of all the women mm. that she thinks could have been leader last time. Yeah. You know, when I said, should Labour have... Uh, female leaders. She said, yes, they should have had one in 2020. She voted for Lisa Nandy because of her feminism. And mm. she said that it was shameful that Labour has never elected one. She's been in Labour politics for 60 years and hasn't seen one. And she said it, Labour politicians can't take their foot off the accelerator because there is still sexism. And like you say, that's something that's in wider society, but it is an issue in the Labour movement and trade union movement, even though you would expect them to live their values more. Mm. It just hasn't happened. Yeah, and I think this is some some of it comes down to to factionalism as well. In that, you know, if you're kind of of the progress wing of the party, for example, as West, West Street in is, mm. or if you're from a kind of more soft left position, like Lisa Nandy, you know, each kind of faction has their own favourites, and they don't necessarily pick the factional favourite based yeah. on their gender. So that kind of has an impact on who gets picked eventually as well. Yeah. And so when you were doing your piece on the Tories women problem, did Labour's issues come up at all when you were having your conversation? Yeah, I think you have to address them because obviously the elephant in the room is that the Conservatives have had three female prime ministers. And I think it's really important to point out that there is sexism in Westminster. Even working there as a journalist, as a member of staff, you feel it. If you're because you worked as a yeah, staff as a staff member as well, yeah. yeah, and you know if you're an MP, I can't imagine how much kind of sex, sexism you must experience. I think even the way the chamber is set up, where it's just set up for people to shout at each other like that. I mean, that's pretty adversarial. It's pretty unpleasant, and I think you need to account for that when you talk about female leaders in the House of Commons and how difficult it is for women to rise to those positions. But I think. The point about Labour is I do wonder if there's a kind of feeling, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, that 
maybe the British public was, I don't know whether we'd still say they are, but ready for a type of female leader. And that's right. put Labour on the back foot a bit. So obviously when we look at Trust May Thatcher, it's the Conservative woman. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if when we look at Labour candidates, so historical Labour candidates, whether there's just been more of a barrier there for them because there's a feeling, not correctly, whether rightly or wrongly, that maybe, you know, okay, we can have a female leader, but she maybe needs to look a certain way or act a certain way. So I don't know, that's just my kind of... Yeah, I get what you mean. So, you know, you can be a woman, but you've got to be... But you've got to be, you know... Yeah, a right-wing woman. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You laugh about the... We had a lot of polling of the Tory membership when Mm. it was the Tory leadership race, and often the name that came top of the potential candidates right at the beginning was Kemi Badenoch. Mm. And, you know, of course, a lot of people were saying this shows that the membership are perhaps more tolerant than we think, mm. than perhaps the prejudice suggests. But also, she was the one who was most outspoken about cultural war issues and perhaps mm. was saying the things that they most liked to hear. And that's what I heard mm. when I went and talked to Tory members as well. They mm. quite liked her fighty, no-nonsense, no-holds-barred kind mm. of rhetoric. And so that suggests that you can take one, but only with the other. Mm. Yeah, I also think people forget that a lot of party members are actually quite a bit quite a bit older. You yeah, know? and there's yeah. few male in every party. <laughs> mm. Indeed. I think, well. So I think that also has an Im- an impact. So, you know, it's a big perception that Labour's membership are all like students <laughs> who are like massively <laughs> into yeah. left-wing culture wars and what have you, and they're more likely to be nearly retired and male. So Yeah, like with every party. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think the, pre- the preconceptions of what party memberships are like are often quite wrong mm. from, from, from what the reality is. Mm. And what do we think? Do we think that there's a chance that we'll see Labour elect a woman at some point or it's just impossible to tell I mean like we've said they've got so many different women that they could choose from I would be shocked if there wasn't a massive concerted effort you know whenever Keir Starmer decides he's going to stand down or indeed gets ousted I think it's highly likely that it'll be a female candidate who's seen as the default person that the party should choose but I don't know if that in the end might indeed favour the other candidates yeah, you know yeah, yeah. it's very hard to tell what kind, which way the wind will mm. blow at the time mm. and what is governing the debate around that time you know I mean whoever thought that the party would choose Jeremy Corbyn but that's where they were in the wake of the 2015 elections yeah mm. yeah and Labour have more Female MPs. Yes, they do. do. About 53%, I think, Mm -hmm. of MPs. Which is why they can't do all women shortlists. Otherwise, it's illegal. Discriminating (laughs) against men. I say keep going. (laughs) (laughs) But I suppose that makes them look even worse in a way because they've got a bigger pool to choose from than the Conservatives do. Yeah, I think it does look a bit, oh, you've got so many female MPs, but what, none of them can be leader. They have to be aware of optics. And there is a push. There's definitely a push within some members of the party that the next leaders should be female. Harriet Harman's been saying this for years, and you said Margaret Hodge as well. Yeah, both um, women who are actually leaving in the, mm. at the next election as well, which I suppose means that there have to be new standard bearers for oh, yeah, yeah. women in the PLP. Yeah, and I mean, they do have those. You know, mm. Stella Creasy has, has mm. done so much campaigning around maternity rights. And similarly, you mentioned Jess Phillips earlier. They have got yeah. a new generation of feminists who will hold the party's feet yeah, to the fire when they sure, go about yeah. choosing the next leader. So if indeed the, either of those two don't stand themselves. Thank you very much, both of you. <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleagues, Rachel Wearmouth and Zoe Grunewald. This week, we've been celebrating our women writers from around the world. Discover more from our talented journalists who can explain the defining issues of our times and perhaps even change how you see the world by going to newstateswoman.com forward slash women. We're produced by Mae Robson and you can find more of our podcasts on YouTube. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together, we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.